As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, hey everybody, welcome into the Cubs Talk Podcast. I'm Tony Andrecki here with our CSNChicago.com insider, Patrick Mooney. Pat, let's kind of get right down to it. Everybody is panicking. I shouldn't say everybody. There are a lot of Cubs fans right now that are panicking. And this is podcast number seven or whatever since the regular season has started. And, you know, as we, we talk about it each week, I feel like five of the seven have been at some part is why the, why you shouldn't panic. And it, it just there's just been so many moments throughout this early part of the season where you know, the Cubs haven't looked like they were at any point in 2016. It's basically like these first five weeks have been, you know, that lull where they faced right before they went into the, the um, All-Star game last year. But for you, watching this team, being around this team so much, after the Cubs just won the World Series, why do you think there is this sense of panic, even though the Cubs are around 500 and just out of first place? That's a great question, Tony. And in- I always wonder how much of it is a genuine sense of concern and how much is it straw man arguments or kind of what we hear on Twitter or does it say something about the nature uh, of social media. And I also think the the calm way, the, the calm that Joe Mann projects and the way this team carries itself, I think almost whatever panic is out there is kind of dialed up and heightened because they're not seeing it back. Uh, when they turn on their TV uh, or whatever. But, you know, there are definitely issues with this team, the way it's constructed, because there are no super teams, no perfect teams. Um, I think there are some underlying pitching issues that we'll get into, not just immediate, but also long-term and on the horizon, things that you could kind of um, see coming. And... You know, I was talking to Ben Zobrist the other day at Wrigley, and I think he's a really good guy who can give context without making excuses, who can offer some criticism without making it personal. And I think he got into a lot of these things. It's just that they're still kind of getting into the feel uh, of a new season. Um, he said since the begin- opening day last year, teams have been gunning for the Cubs. They get their best shot every time out. It's not just because they won the World Series. They were getting that last June. And to me, the thing that if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm not worried about at all is is the offense, the bats that, you know, he said, he said it just felt so cold at Wrigley. He said it didn't feel like this last year. And, and I looked it up and out of 16 home games at Wrigley, 11 had been 50 degrees or below at first pitch. Uh, they played three games in a domed a stadium with a roof, I should say, in Milwaukee. They haven't gotten to any of the warm weather cities yet. Now, I thought Javier Baez would be killing it from day one after the way he performed in the World Baseball Classic. I thought Kyle Schwarber would have cleared that mental hurdle by the way 
he performed in the World Series, but as John Lester said, maybe that was a lot of adrenaline, and teams are now finding ways to pitch to him, and he has to kind of adjust back. And This is the first time he's ever played a big league game in May. Um, and then we'll get into the pitching later, but uh, there are all these kind of little things, and I think my biggest takeaway is that look at the New York Mets and the circus they've become. Look at the San Francisco Giants, one of the worst starts in their uh, history and you know as long as John Lester isn't going dirt bike riding on his off day and injuring <laughs> his shoulder the way Madison Bumgarner did and as long as Jake Arrieta is not blowing off MRIs and missing months uh, the way Noah Syndergaard is I think the Cubs you know will be okay um, and as long as nobody's breaking up with Victoria's Secret models and then not showing up to the ballpark the next day the way Matt Harvey did. Well, that's the next thing, you know, I'm thinking, you know, is, is Kyle Hendricks going to be partying until 4 a.m. <laughs> on Rush Street? And, you know, I don't, I don't With think With a bunch of other accounts, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Exactly. So, and I guess check back at the end of this weekend series uh, in St. Louis, but still think this team is way too talented. Uh, and the fact that they, they've done it before um, – you know, and the way this division looks, you know, I'm not seeing any team running away with it uh, right now. Yeah, we talk about panic right now, and that's after, you know, being swept by the Yankees, losing two of three to the Rockies in Colorado. Imagine this sense of panic if they go down to St. Louis and only win, you know, one of three or even get swept again. Like this, everybody's going to be, we're going to have to talk everybody off the ledge in that same, in that facet. Um, along that lines too and you know you brought up a good point about like is this just social media or anything else and I was telling you a little bit before like I was even you know talking my mom off the ledge a little bit and I feel like it just maybe it's just a mindset of Cubs fans like people like I don't know were they used to like losing for so long and now they thought that this was going to be like the start of a dynasty and even though we're only 20% of the way through the schedule it doesn't this team doesn't look like anywhere near as dominant as they were last year. It doesn't look like the start of a dynasty. But the point that I kind of, I liked, uh, you wrote in a recent story, I forget which one now, but it's not uh, It's not all going to be like what it was last year. You know, everything went right in 2016 for the Cubs. David Ross had basically the season of his life. You know, he didn't put up the best counting stats all the way throughout, but in a lot of ways, that was his best offensive year and maybe his best defensive year of his career as a 39-year-old catcher. Part of that was probably going at, you know into the into his retirement, but Wilson Contreras comes up. He has a big year. You know Zobrist fit in seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Kyle Hendricks had the year of his life. Everything just went right for the Cubs in 2016, even when it wasn't going right in the World Series or in the NLTS. Everything ended up okay, and it just that just doesn't always happen because baseball is bigger than that. You know this game overall. It that's why everybody talks about the marathon of a 162 game season seven months if you're talking about the World Series. So I just think that it's not always going to be a cakewalk like last year was, save for that 24-day stretch right before the All-Star break. But then again, I mean, can they still, you know, you talk about all the talent. Would anybody be surprised if they start going on a run where, you know, they win 26 of 30 games or something like that from here on out and just the offense wakes up, the starting pitching gets evened out, all that kind of stuff. There's just, there's so much more that's left in this team. And there's the three aspects, right? Like defense, which didn't show up in Colorado, pitching, which has been suspect all year, and offense, like you said, has dealt with a lot of other things despite the fact, you know, that they haven't gotten going as well. 
th- none of those three have been facet together at, at once. Do you see that coming anytime soon? Maybe we'll, when the weather starts warming up and the bats start heating up? I think part of it, Zobris was saying the other day at Wrigley was, you know, if you, they took that, those shots last year from all these different teams and through June and you could see them kind of dragging, but, you know, the Cubs are just so deep that they had these extra gears that, you know, almost the entire National League didn't have. And that's the way this team was built with redundancies in mind and flexibility and versatility. And that I do think that's going to start to show up more and more that the Cubs aren't relying on just Chris Bryant to carry them from here until the end of September. Um, If someone gets injured, they really position player wise have a lot of options internally, both uh, on the major league roster and a couple of, you know, interesting guys uh, at, at triple a, which we've seen Jamer Candelario this Mm -hmm. week in Colorado and Ian Hatton. That's, well, you were just talking about with Wilson Contreras, you know, he, he brought this shot of adrenaline uh, last summer, and the year before that, it, it was Kyle Schwarber, and, you know, they certainly had saved up some money for the trade deadline. Uh, they have some prospects they can deal. So I do think there are things that you can kind of count on uh, if you're the Cubs in a way that, you know, the Reds, Brewers can't. You know, they're not going to be going all in and you know the burdens on them to prove that they can play six months of baseball at even a 500 level much less making that leap to 85 plus wins uh we're going to get a good look at at the cardinals here uh, and the pirates you know in this really interesting position where you can kind of see their window closing you know the economics of their franchise Uh, mccutcheon uh handled all those trade rumors with a lot of class Marte is out uh, after getting popped for steroids um, so I still think ultimately it's about getting into the playoffs and I totally agree with you that so many things went right last year but the Cubs had the best team on baseball and paper period last year and they still were dreading the idea of facing Bumgarner and Cueto in an elimination game they were shut out for what like 21 straight innings in the NLCS and then they were obviously down through one in the World Series and blew a game seven lead so even when you have all those things go right and uh, are the best team on paper you still have to kind of answer there are going to be crises there's going to be things that we never saw coming and you know it's kind of up to them to um, you know show kind of apply what they learned last year and not uh, kind of feed into what are going to be really easy uh, narratives that they don't turn it on of, you know, they're, they're coasting, they have the hangover, you know, all that, all that stuff like that. Yeah, and that's a good point. You're talking about the division in general. I mean, no matter what, like the Cubs, as I said, they're not in first place, you know, as entering the weekend series in St. Louis, but they have the much better prospects moving forward. I think Fangraph still has them at 92, 93% chance of making the playoffs. And you figure the Cubs are sitting where they are, like a game, a game and a half out of first place and have been for the last couple of weeks. Um, and yet nothing's gone right almost this season. Like you said, they're not the Mets in that they don't have a bunch of injuries or they're not the Giants and that everything went wrong for them. But in re- like, so it's not that everything's going wrong for the Cubs, 
but nothing's going right, so to speak. They're kind of in that purgatory in the middle in a lot of ways. Uh, but I'm curious, do you think there is any factor of not necessarily the hangover, but dealing with the questions about the hangover? How often do you think there's a part of them that are just frustrated at everybody's asking about last year, about 2016, the World Series run, the dynasty, talk of the hangover? How much do you think that infiltrates guys' minds, even though Joe Madden and the mental skills coach, Darnell McDonald and everybody else, they try to tune that out. Do you think that that's any part of a factor right now with the Cubs mentally? No, I don't think it's the external stuff. I think part of it might be a little bit of uh, human nature. Uh, I think offense is a little cyclical. Um, I do think the defense is where you look at it and kind of scratch your head like what's going on here and I think that speaks to effort and focus uh, and things like that. Uh, I think you and I were sitting next to each other when at Cubs convention when Joe Madden was talking about DP'd and, and stuff like that. Um, and this team, I mean, talk about Cubs fans, kind of grew up with watching like teams kind of build almost like softball teams and defense kind of was uh, an afterthought and Cubs made a lot of plays, um, not just the routine ones, the spectacular ones. Um, and it was less about kind of gaming the numbers and, and shifting everywhere. Like they, there was athleticism all over the field. Uh, Jason Hayward certainly uh, made a difference. And that's not happening right now. And uh, you combine that with this might be more of the, the physical hangover, just the starting pitchers clearly haven't found their rhythm yet and they can throw out all the reasons why between schedule and off days and weather and back-to-back postseason runs whatever it is you know we spend so much time talking about hitters and how they built the team through the draft and uh, how pitching is risky and things like that but Cubs pitched lights out last year even if they didn't have they weren't as hyped up as all those young Mets starters um and things like that but this is a pitching and defense team last year uh, and right now they're not yeah and we'll get more into the pitching here we'll take a quick break come back talk about starting pitching in general uh, a little bit about the guy catching them Wilson Contreras and then in, in the final segment of this podcast we have a nice interview with Fergie Jenkins talking about the World Series his perception of the entire season and his emotions watching that the last three games of the World Series and what he really felt. Catch a brand new episode of Beer Money presented by Coors Light, Chicago's favorite sports trivia show where fans are put to the test for a chance to take home cash every Sunday night at 7 on CSN. Welcome back into the Cubs Talk podcast. Again, I'm Tony Andrecki here with Patrick Mooney. Pat, the Cubs, they look like they're going to give Eddie Butler a shot now. Uh, he's slated to go Friday in St. Louis. And for a guy who's in his mid-20s, former top prospect, it's really interesting to see what he could be, if anything. You know, is he going to bomb in the way that Brett Anderson has so far? Although, you know, Anderson's now in the DL with a back issue. So maybe he was pitching through that for a while, and that led to some of his uh, deficiencies um, out on the mound. What does he get, five outs over his last two starts, Anderson? Yes. Yeah, so 
you know, the Cubs, they, they need to find answers, long-term and short-term, in the starting rotation. What do you make of Butler? This guy who, right now, he has a 117 ERA in, the, in AAA Iowa, a 111 whip as well, but he also only has 17 strikeouts in 30.2 innings. He, in his big league career, is just 6-16, six and 6.5 ERA, a 177 whip. These are not great numbers, but he was pitching in Coors Field with the Rockies, and the Cubs have already kind of done this reclamation project before with the Jake Arrieta, Scott Feldman's, uh, that kind of stuff. Do you think that there's, I, I guess, what do you make overall of Butler and the, the experiment the Cubs have with him here? This is where we panic, Tony. No, I, mean, <laughs> I think, I think uh, more than anything, Butler is this kind of symbol of what the Cubs have done and where they need to go. And uh, I think, I remember being back at, I think it was a GM meetings coming off the 2015 NLCS and talking to Jed and Theo and proposing this idea of kind of a two-year window. And obviously the Cubs won the World Series last year and that kind of took, uh, you know, a ton of pressure off. But you've you seen that the, the farm system hasn't yet developed that impact homegrown starter, I mean, much less a bullpen guy. And you see Jake Arrieta, I think... Everyone expects him to sign somewhere else. I mean, not ruling out a return, but at this point, I would be surprised if Scott Boris and Theo are going to sit down and find enough common ground to keep him uh, in Chicago. John Lackey, as we all know, will eventually disappear to Texas and we'll never see him again except for, like, you know, random photos on Twitter that of him. I think Madden said, like, you know, riding a horse somewhere. <laughs> and then... Um, John Lester has been amazingly dur durable and consistent, but at some point that's going to catch up to him. I mean, the Cubs know the history of nine-figure contracts in, in pitchers. And then Brett Anderson obviously has not uh, distinguished himself so far. So there is this kind of you know crisis looming in the rotation, and if Eddie Butler can come in and be that guy um, – it would be a huge success story. Now, I do think, yes, he has a lot of kind of raw elements that are intriguing from, you know, his, he was a top draft pick, top prospect, um, things like that. And I think everyone gets a mulligan after pitching uh, in Coors Field. But at the same time, this it's not easy to do. I mean, Jake Arrieta was just kind of like once-in-a-lifetime lottery ticket. And, like, comparing a guy with a 6 ERA – um, who the most, like, pitching desperate organization in the sport kind of tossed aside um, and thinking that he's going to become, like, a number three starter overnight, you know, is kind of crazy to me. But, yeah, I think it'll be an, a definite story. You know, his first start in a Cubs uniform being thrown right in there uh, against the Cardinals and that kind of sea of red uh, – at Bush Stadium, and, you know, if he if he can figure it out here, I mean, he's probably not going to get a better chance to establish himself as that guy. I mean, in theory, he should have, you know, a great defense behind him, even if they haven't played up to that. Uh, Chris Basio is one of the best pitching coaches in the game. Uh, what Mike Borzello and uh, Hadavi, the guys behind the scenes, do in terms of crafting a game plan, I think has been – a huge difference maker 
uh, for the Cubs, and eventually the Cubs are going to start hitting, so he should have a lot of runs on the board when he's pitching and maybe take uh, some of the pressure off. And he's a guy, I think you would notice this, you mentioned it off air, that um, his body language, the way he carried himself, I think gave the Cubs some optimism that, you know, he's, you know, has a good head on his shoulders. I think he appreciates and understands uh, the opportunity in front of him, and now it's up to him. Yeah, and it's, there is definitely something to be said. I think he got as high as the number 24 ranked prospect in baseball uh, yeah. in 2014, and so that's that's big. I mean, especially nowadays, people are evaluating prospects um, with a much higher success rate than 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And, um, that's not to say, of course, that people don't flame out. Jacob Turner was a guy the Cubs had. They tried to do the same thing that they did with Eddie Butler. Turner was even more highly regarded as a prospect four, five, six years ago than Butler is now, and that just didn't work out. But then again, you know, as you mentioned, Turner's having success right now uh, with the Washington Nationals, and um, so there's definitely a possibility. And pitchers just take a lot longer to develop than Wilson Contreras, who comes up at, you know, even though it was his eighth year or ninth year or whatever in the Cubs farm system or organization, he comes up, makes an impact. Uh, and, you know, we're still seeing like learning curve from him, from Javi Baez, from Bryant, Russell, Schwarber, all of that. And pitchers, they always just take a while. Um, I think overall, especially when we're looking at this season, I've seen so many people freak out about Jake Arrieta and not just Cubs fans. I've seen a lot of fantasy baseball fans, you know, wondering if they should trade Arietta and that kind of stuff. And um, I just kind of look at it and, and laugh a little bit because he's been one of the more unlucky pitchers in the league. The batting average on balls in play against him is somewhere, I think, around like 340 after that start in Colorado. And, uh, you know, he, he gave up a couple of hard hits in Colorado and in Boston, um, two of the, the last times out. But at the same time, there were also these bloops that fell in, grounders just passed it. The defense that you're talking about that was normally so reliable has not been very reliable behind him. And overall, Arietta's strikeouts are up, his walks are down. And those are two things that you can point to, even if his velocity is not there, he has better control. He still has so much movement so that a 91 mile an hour pitch from Jake Arietta is much different than uh, a 95 or 96 even than anybody else if it's just a lot more straight. So I think overall the, the Cubs pitching staff is not something to panic about because of the fact, like you've said and like Joe Madden has said, they're not hurt. They're not the Mets. They're not the, the Giants with Madison Bumgarner injured and everything else. So there's just so much room to grow overall. Um, and, and I'm curious to see what Eddie Butler makes of this opportunity. And, you know, if not, maybe Brett Anderson's back issue is, you know, figured out and he can come back and be that, that extreme ground ball pitcher that we know. Or maybe that was the last time we saw Brett Anderson in a Cubs uniform walking out off the field against the Yankees. Yeah, I think you nailed it in terms of you know, if we show up in St. Louis or uh, the next homestand or with the next couple of weeks and the Cubs announce something like, you know, Jake or Lester, you know, is feeling something in his forearm or his elbow or his shoulder, like that is the time, you know, if they lose one of those big pieces of the rotation for a couple months, that is the time where, you know, the Cubs will really find out uh, what they're made of. And it's been an unbelievable stretch uh, of health. Um, four or five starters, uh, I believe the last two years, making at least 30 starts, uh, which is insane. And I think that luck will have to run out 
uh, eventually. Um, I do think part of it is the guys they brought in, but I think they do deserve credit for keeping some of these uh, guys healthy. They must be doing something right, uh, I'd assume. And then uh, I think we're not going to appreciate Jake Arietta fully until um, he's somewhere else and you're not watching <laughs> L.A. Every, yeah. <laughs> Whether he's in, yeah, I think that would probably be L.A., Houston, wherever, wherever he winds up that uh, we're not watching every pitch through the prism of the second half of 2015 when he catapulted himself into uh, a Cy Young Award in this latter-day Bob Gibson. That What really impressed me last year was that he went wire to wire and he struggled a little bit and came back and beat the Indians twice uh, in the World Series. I mean, how many Cubs pitchers can say that? And in, there's still this kind of, uh, not to use a Rick Renteria term, like chipping away at kind of what he had done and... Um, you know, as long as he stays healthy, um, you know, I think it's really hard to replace what he did. It sounds great. You know, there's some prospect coming up and he has some upside and, hey, we'll throw him out there and, and see what happens. But uh, I think that there's an element to that that underestimates, one, Jake Arias' talent. You're talking about kind of the velocity and the way his ball moves and all the weapons that he has. I think, obviously, his uh, fitness and nutrition has been well documented. The the way he really has taken ownership of his own career, uh, his absurd level of confidence, um, and just kind of the comfort in his own own skin, the way he interacts with with the media and, and teammates. You know, all of those things, and whether it was a Jacob Turner or Chris Volside, I think you kind of got a sense pretty quickly of, you know, why some of those guys bounced around. Like, they didn't have all those attributes and that kind of uh, desire uh, to be great. And that's what uh, Jake Arrieta has. And at a certain point, I think we got to step back and say, if this guy has a three-plus ERA, makes 30 starts, makes an all-star team, and wins two games in a World Series, that's a phenomenal year uh, in any context. So, uh, real curious to see what he does and what Lester does in St. Louis because, like, if those guys don't pitch well, the Cubs aren't going anywhere. That's, a, you know, kind of the bottom line. To it. There's not any other cards to play that doesn't – at that point it won't matter really what starter you acquire at the deadline. You know, these are your guys, and you got to kind of win with them or not. And the guy catching everybody right now is Wilson Contreras. And you just had a nice story on him at csnchicago.com about how he – integrated himself into the clubhouse, how he gained respect from the guys like Arietta and Lester, but also from John Lackey, a guy who's been around the block, you know, forever and has, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, has always, he's kind of thrown some of the younger guys under the bus defensively and, and everything else, but Wilson has really endeared himself to, to everybody within that clubhouse. So even though he's not having a great year, if you look at his numbers, and I think he has, what, five errors already at this mm -hmm. point in the year, um, and we're talking only like mid-May. So if you just look at his stat line, his impact doesn't look like it's fully there yet, but you brought up a lot of really good moments that he's had, that three-run home run opening day against the Cardinals, uh, that big you know pinch-hit double that he had against the Phillies, and then motoring around to score on Matt Caesar's uh, 
infield uh, hit or fielder's choice, whatever they ended up calling that. So I just – like there have been big moments from Contreras, and then we saw so much of him last year. He was huge in the DS, huge in the NLCS um, in that clinching game with a homer off Kershaw, and then he was big in the World Series to the point where Miguel Montero almost didn't play in the World Series. He just had a, a few at-bats. And I just – there's so much room for him to grow. But can you talk a little bit about how a guy like Wilson – really gain the respect of the lackeys and the lesters in the clubhouse? I think the one parallel that's kind of been in the back of my mind is, you know, Wellington Castillo, who is everyone liked Wellington. He's a real good guy. He was very earnest and he wanted to do well. But Cubs throw a lot at their catchers and it is hard um to call a game and learn all the personalities and, and gain all that trust. And I think you've seen Wellington show lots of offensive flashes, but also kind of bounce around to uh, a couple of different teams and have, you know, real nice moments without kind of staying power. And I think Wilson Contreras uh, ha- has come in. And I think, and this is not at all talking about Wellington's work ethic or anything like that. It was just, things just didn't quite click with him I think that's a fair statement and I think Wilson has come in and endeared himself um, to the coaching staff to Joe Madden Um, these guys see the way Wilson uh, prepares and I think it's obvious the tools that he has and he's got that rocket arm that minimizes some of uh, Lester's uh, throwing issues that mental block there and uh yeah that that bat i mean he just electrified the team um in certain moments last year and really helped carry the cubs through uh into october from the very first pitch to the first pitch you saw in the big leagues he deposited in center field and so yeah he pimps he might pimp a home run he might flip his bat he'll be on second base pounding his chest but you see in, in the clubhouse um he's very quiet. He kind of goes about his, his business. Um, he speaks outstanding English. Uh, he's very thoughtful. Uh, he looks people in the eye. Uh, he's not clowning around at his locker. And, you know, all those things um, add up. And so I think there is, this is a guy who still, I think at this time last year was in his like first month at AAA ever. Um, He's turning, I believe, 25 this weekend, and that still makes him one of the older kind of quote-unquote core players here. So there's a ton of room for improvement. Um, Joe Girardi's impression, he told the New York writers, I guess it was Monday morning at that point, but he said, I'd never seen a catch, someone catch 18 innings with that amount of energy. You know, his motor uh, is nonstop and really impressed an old uh Cubs catcher from uh, the other side. So I think, to me, the story of Wilson Contreras kind of reflects the larger overall picture of kind of where the Cubs are at with these young guys and guys who've shown it in moments and have to do it across uh, a whole season, and that even if they're not where you want to be right now, there's still um, a lot of things to make you think that he can get there sooner rather than later. All right, we're going to take a quick break uh, and let Pat get ready for a big weekend in St. Louis. 
and uh, come back and talk uh, with Fergie Jenkins about the Cubs World Series run. After every Cubs game, stay tuned for Cubs Post Game Live, sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois, with David Kaplan and David DeJesus. Hear from Cubs players inside the locker room. Get a live look inside Joe Madden's post game press conferences and more. We're here in the CSN studios. I'm Tony Andrecki here with Fergie Jenkins. Fergie, let's talk a little bit about we have, uh, we have an awesome baseball in front of us. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and uh, what's going to be hitting the market soon? Well, we're going to display this ball at, at the, the appearance I'm going to make in Skokie tomorrow. And the nice thing about it, it's considered a stat ball. Uh, developed by quite a few ex-players, uh, Tiny Archibald and Rick Barry. And what's Nice about it, it's all the different stats or your accomplishments on the ball. The teams you played with, the years you played, and I was very fortunate to get in a couple of Hall of Fames. Uh, the Canadian Hall of Fame in uh, 97 and uh, Cooperstown in 91. So this is displayed on the ball. We're going to put it on the market and see how many we can sell and uh, make some fans happy. And you have a few events coming up as well, right, for your foundation? Yeah, we have two golf outings, uh, one in June, which is corporate, and one in September, which is for celebrities. And we bring in CFL, basketball, baseball, hockey players. And uh, it's a, basically it's a, a charitable uh, situation where we display so many different athletes and so many of the corporate situations, our sponsors. And it's a five-man uh, golf outing, uh, and there's basically – two fives on, on each hole. So there's going to be a lot of golfers, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, what's it, where can they find more information about your foundation? Uh, the foundation is fergiejenkinsfoundation.ca, and it's going to be held in St. Catharines, Ontario, and the golf course is Rockway Glen. What's your golf game like? It's not bad. Uh, I've improved my game over the last few seasons of playing. I had some shoulder surgery, so I'm getting ready back into the game. I'd like to get back into single digits again. I was about 8 to a 9 handicap. Now I'm, I think I'm about 12 to 15. So how are you going to get back to that point? Well, i got to putt better. Yeah. Uh, I can still hit the ball decent. But uh, getting to the green, and the, as they say, the short grass is where the game's at, and the putting is where, is where you have to display your talent. How much of your baseball skill and talent carries over to the golf course? Do you think any? Oh, it's competitive. Yeah. <laughs> you play the course, and a lot of times you don't play the man you're playing against, but you try to be as competitive uh, against the, the golf course. And I've played, you know, we've had this course 20 years in, uh, in St. Catharines, so I know the course, just the whole selection and the whole placement to, to how you're going to putt. So that's the nice part of it. And when you're out on the golf course, do you wear this new Cubs ring you got? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't wear any jewelry at all. But this ring is really heavy and big. You know, it's great to display it at, at events, but uh, I wouldn't play with it on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the ring for a bit. Uh, what was your initial reaction the first time you saw it and uh, the first time you held it and got, to, got a chance to put it on? Well, I seen it in the dugout, uh, in the box, but you didn't really see it to really hold it until you get a chance to really put it on. Uh, pictures really don't do it justice. 108 diamonds, sapphires, and rubies. You put it on, and you go, wow, is this one heck of a ring. These young men really played great baseball last season, and, and my hat's off to them. You know, you know, to play that many games, they won 103, and then they won the, the couple of wild cards, and then they won the playoff World Series. I think that's some great playing baseball. and it's, it's a lot of ball, and it's a lot of winning, and these young men deserve what they got. 
And uh, speaking of deserving and everything else, I handed out 1,900, over 1,900 of those. Um, were you expecting that, that show of generosity from the organization towards uh, past players, not just Hall of Famers like yourself, but so many guys that made an impact in the north side here in Chicago for so long? Well, I think once you put that uniform on, you're part of the alumnus. And they honored some of those uh, individuals, I think, a couple of weeks ago uh, at the uh, Brick and Vine Dinner which I think is outstanding, you know. And anytime an organization really admires what your accomplishments were, especially in a Cub uniform, I think that that was a nice thing that they had that opportunity to give them a ring and a celebrity to basically salute what they were capable of doing. So take us back a little bit to uh, last season, but more particularly last fall. How did you take in the playoffs and the World Series? Well, I was pretty happy the way they played against uh, the Giants and, and, and the Dodgers. And then the series started. Uh, they lost the first game. Uh, bad umpiring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy was calling all kinds of pitches all over the place. And then they won the second game. And then uh, I had an opportunity to, to come to Wrigley Field, and they lost the first game one to nothing. Maddox and I threw out the first pitch for game four, and they lost 7-2. to two. I seen grown men crying. <laughs> and I said to myself, Oh, please don't let it happen again. And I had my daughter with me, my youngest daughter. And she says, Dad, do you think the Cubs are going to start? I said, if they hit, they, there's nobody can beat them. And they won the Sunday game. Then they went to Cleveland and displayed some more hitting and pitching. You know, I think uh, by far, uh, Lester really pitched well. So did Arietta, And so did, uh, you know, uh, Hendricks. And unfortunately, they had to wait to 10 innings to win the game. And that rain delay. Yeah, and the rain delay. And it was, it was, and in the ring, they put it, they won it the AM, not in the PM. They won it in the AM. And uh, basically, they just hit. They put together some great hitting. And I, I think that's what put them over the top is hitting. Um, you mentioned game one of the World Series and how the umpire is all over the place. How often do you get, do you find yourself getting animated still about umpires' calls and stuff as you're watching? Are you still have that kind of competitive spirit burning inside you the same way? Well, in the 60s and 70s, you didn't get that high pitch. Yeah. And hitters, they lay off it because they can't hit it. They can't, all they can do is foul it off. You can't put it, put it in play. And the umpire was giving the Cleveland pitcher a lot of high fastballs. And unfortunately, that puts you behind in the count. And uh, a pitcher that gets ahead of you in the count, he can do what he wants. And I think our hitters kind of didn't really understand what was going on, but they knew that they, they had to do something about it. And unfortunately, Cleveland won that ballgame pretty easy. And uh, you know, like you said, obviously the Cubs were down 3-1 in that series. So you were talking about grown men crying at Wrigley Field. I'm sure anybody who was uh, within a few few miles radius of Wrigley or even all throughout Chicagoland felt that same sorrow and pain. What would that have meant to you? Just go back to that moment after, uh, what was that, game four, when they were down 3-1. Would that have been the the worst pain in Cubs history if they were to end up losing from there? We know that didn't happen, but but how were you feeling in that moment? Well, they had one game, more at one game left uh, at home to to try to make it, you know, three to two. Uh, the Sunday game when they came out and really put their hitting display, I think that uh, they proved to themselves that they were capable of of, of continuing the series. They didn't want to lose; their backs were against the wall, so they won. The, the fifth game, and now they go to Cleveland to try to, you know, cinch the pennant. I mean, excuse me, cinch the World Series. But the nice thing about it is, as I said, 
if these young men hit, I don't think there's any team can stop them because up and down their lineup, they have great hitting. And how do you think the young guys reacted? I mean, you know how it is playing in the big leagues. It's How were they able to separate all of that and make sure that the moment wasn't too big for them, even with their backs against the wall like that? Well, they got a great manager, Madden. He keeps them loose. Front office. I mean, it all starts from the front office. And, and so many of these young guys, uh, they weren't worried about any kind of curse. They were just going out there and, and being athletes, playing as hard as they, as they basically could to try to, to, to bring a World Series to Chicago, which they did. I mean, the city was kind of bent over backwards after they won it. You know, the, over 5 million people down the streets all the way to Grant Park. I mean, it was phenomenal. Yeah, that, I was actually going to ask you about that as well. So all the time that you spent here, I'm sure you envisioned what it would be like when the Cubs finally won, what that celebration would be like, the emotions going through you. How did it compare to what you dreamed of and what you envisioned, what really took place? Well, was, so many people had Cub Blue on and the hats, the World Series hats, the pennant hats. And I just think that uh, uh, so many people said, finally in my lifetime. And I, I heard that so many times. Are the Cubs ever going to go in in my lifetime? And finally they did it after 108 years. And so many people were happy. The city just opened up its arms. And, and they loved what the Cubs did. And I, and I think that's uh, gratifying to the fact that these young men played so good and they won People love them. I mean, the, the, their names are going to be <laughs> down in annals from now on, from now on, because of the fact Rizzo, you know, uh, Schwarber. I mean, there's so many. Lester. These guys did a great job. Uh, I, I just, uh, when I look at what they were accomplished, we couldn't do it, 69 or 70. The 84 team couldn't do it. The 2003 team. But the 2016 team did it. And... What was your emotional, like, visceral reaction to the final out? Um, everything that, you know, throughout your entire time. Were there tears shed? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Montgomery threw a great curveball. I'm not sure who the pinch hitter was. Hit a little weak ground Michael ball. Martinez. Martinez. Yeah. And hit it, to, uh, hit it to third base and then the throw to first. And they showed it many, many times. Uh, he slipped and, and threw yeah. it to first, but still made a decent throw. And, and, I, and I think Rizzo's got a great arm a great and he's got a great glove i mean he's a great first baseman so he didn't have any problem handling that throw did you shed any tears in the moment i was pretty happy i was home and my wife and i kind of jumped up and down and you know i was happy that they won last thing before we let you go then uh you mentioned joe madden and how he is as a manager how would you have liked to play for a guy like joe madden back in your playing days (laughs) I did, and Leo DeRocher. Yeah. <laughs> but Leo was a little more feisty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> had, yelling at the young. Great years. You know, but Joe keeps the team loose. I mean, he's got a, uh, a, a different theory on, on how ball players should react to certain situations, and he tries to keep the, the team loose. So we, they had a good clubhouse, and that's what it's all about. I mean, the number one thing, as I said, it all starts at the top, from, from the owner of the team to the general manager all the way down. Uh, they, they didn't have a team captain. We had a team captain in Ron Sano, and Sano was the kind of guy that kept everybody loose. Uh, but I, I just think that uh, what they've got now are so many talented players at so many different positions that if they don't get hurt and continue to play, they could repeat again. Sounds good. Thank you, Fergie. Pleasure. All right, that was Cubs Hall of Famer Fergie Jenkins explaining his emotions as he watched the Cubs and a 108-year championship drought and shed that lovable loser's label. 
You can be sure to find all our podcasts at csnchicago.com slash podcast. Subscribe to our iTunes channel from there. We're also available on Google Play, Stitcher, and Audioboom. And be sure to follow at CSN Cubs where every episode is posted, along with all of our daily Cubs talk news and stories. And be sure to follow Patrick Mooney as well for all the information from St. Louis this weekend. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.